Mac Power Users, Episode 322, Alternate Uses for Keynote. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hey, Katie. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. This is a show that's been uh, jumping around for a while, but we finally got time to record it. I know it's been one that's been on your list, and you did quite a lot of work on the outline here. Um, You are quite the keynote guru. Uh, I like keynote. It's a great app. I'm a big keynote fan, too. But of course, you you've written the book on keynote, not so much on keynote, but you've written the book on presentations. Yeah, it's basically a keynote book, too. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's the focus. Uh, before we get into the other uses for keynote, a couple uh, introductory points. Um, Always start with the announcements. Yeah, there we go. Um, we've talked over the last couple of weeks, this new show that I'm doing with Jason Snell called Free Agents. It's going to be all about, you know, going indie and sticking it to the man. It's launching this week. All right. Yay. So uh, I'm not sure as we record this, I think it's going to be coming out Thursday or Wednesday. So keep an eye on the Relay channel. Also, if you go to maxsparky.com, I will um, go ahead and put an announcement up the day that the, the show launches. But this is just this week. It's going to be a fun show. The episodes are about 30 minutes. And uh, for the guest shows, we're probably going to try and keep them about 45 minutes. So it's not going to be super long and uh, a really interesting material. And that's going to be a fortnightly show, correct? Yes, yes, every two weeks. Uh, the uh, For the first time in nine years of publishing MaxSparky.com, I'm doing t-shirts. And uh, if you go to the website, you can see I've got a cool t-shirt. It's got a great uh, little MaxSparky logo on the front and a cool phrase on the back, which I have not entirely settled on as I record this. Lots so, of Twitter debate about that. Yes, yes. I've got um, some interesting ideas, but you'll get to see, find out when you go to the website what the story is and you can get a shirt if you're interested. And finally, I wanted to thank everyone uh, where as we record this, we're within two weeks of doing the Orange County App Camp. Uh, my wife and I have been working uh, a lot on this project and the Mac Power Users listeners have come through in so many ways. Uh, a listener was instrumental in helping us find some of the key speakers. A listener helped us find the location. So um, thank you all for helping make this happen. We're going to have uh, 12 campers and they're going to be making their own app in a couple of weeks. So we're looking forward to getting that launched. That's exciting. We're in full blown app camp season right now. If you've been following app camp for girls on Twitter, uh, you'll see that they've had camps in Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver already. Uh, and then I know that there are others, including yours that are continuing on throughout the summer. Yeah. And the, the offer still stands, Katie Floyd, if you want to help out, you could crash on my couch, just a plane ticket out here. I'll feed you. Yeah, it's tempting. Okay, um, but that's not why we're here today. We have a a show about Keynote, but not presentations. You are a big fan of Keynote. I'm a big fan of Keynote. So there's a little history behind Keynote. Keynote is the secret Apple app that was in development and had one beta tester. Well, one primary beta tester for years. And that was Steve Jobs. Yeah, it's Steve's app. And like when he was alive, I always felt like you could tell the apps that Steve Jobs used versus the other apps. They are the ones that always had just a little bit extra spit and polish on them. And uh, Apple really, you know, uh, PowerPoint was there before Keynote, but I always feel like Apple really just did it right with Keynote. It's it's so different from PowerPoint. And, uh, you know, that's been my shtick for years. And I know PowerPoint has come a long way towards Keynote, but just the fact that it's different from Keynote in a lot of ways gives it kind of that 
unfair advantage because everybody's seen all the same uh, PowerPoint animations and the same PowerPoint uh, you know, templates and all that stuff. They've seen it all because at work or school, it's thrown at them all the time. Keynotes always looks a little different. Uh, I like the way the app is designed and laid out. Like Katie was saying, I wrote a book called uh, the Max Barkey Field Guide to Presentations. And half of that book is kind of my philosophy of what makes a good presentation. And the other half is how to make the good presentation and keynote. But none of that stuff is what we're going to talk about today. Well, I was um, just I was going to add, I think Keynote in a lot of ways has pushed PowerPoint to be a better app. For years, the development on PowerPoint was stalled and there was really nothing new coming out in PowerPoint. And then all of a sudden, Keynote started gaining in popularity and PowerPoint started upping its game. So I think, you know, I think like anything, this arms race is good for, for all of us because they're each trying to leapfrog each other. Yeah. And like the the resurgence of powerful Microsoft applications on the iPad, uh, you know, Word, PowerPoint, Excel are very good on the iPad. In some ways, PowerPoint is better than Keynote in some of the animation stuff it does and a couple of the other features that Keynote just doesn't have on iPad. I mean, it, it's not a simple answer as to which way you go, but I, I like Keynote. And because I've been using it so long, I've come up with this list of other things I do with Keynote. And I'm not alone. Uh, about a week ago, when I was working on the outline for this, I sent out a tweet saying, hey, what are you using for Keynote other than uh, making presentations? And so many listeners wrote back with all these crazy ideas that they're doing with Keynote. So we're going to talk about at the end of this uh, show, some of the listener ideas. But before we do that, I've kind of made a list here of different areas and categories of things you can do with Keynote other than presentations. And I'm going to talk through the workflows and the tools you use to pull that off. Yeah, a lot of these I'd never thought of. So I'm I'm inter- I've used Keynote for a few things other than making presentations, but you've really gone out there. Yeah, B- before we dig into the various options, I wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about two subjects. The first is what are the required tools and the second is iOS versus Mac. So with required tools, obviously, the show is going to focus on Keynote, but there's a couple other tools in my tool belt that I find very useful for a lot of the things I'm doing here. Um, The first one, and definitely the most important, is ScreenFlow. Uh, ScreenFlow is a screencasting application. It's what I use to make all the Max Barkey field guides, the video field guides, and the videos within the books. It's a great app. And there's a lot of screencasting apps, but this is the one. ScreenFlow has gotten a few updates. I mean, it, it tends to get updated, I would say, about every 18 months or so. Are, are you big on staying on top of those updates? Or Yeah. And I mean, I don't waste any time. The version 6 just came out. And it's 100 bucks. I immediately bought it I because I just I use all the stuff they do. One of the nice features in version 6 is they have the ability to cut out. You can You can snap a portion of the screen. You don't have to video screencast the whole screen. And this is great because like one of the things I do is I use a lot of beta and alpha software for some of our friends as they're developing it. And when I see a little bug, I don't want to send them a a screencast of my whole screen, like especially if I've got like a legal document open on the side or just a big, messy desktop or whatever. So I can snap just a section of the app where I'm seeing the the bug and I'll make a video and just send it off to them so they can see that. if you're uh, making like one of the things I talked about when we did the show on doing excellent presentations was how I do these flybys with Google Earth or Google Maps. And I make a video of the the animation created on the web by Google and then I embed it in a keynote presentation. 
before to do that, I would have to screen capture the whole screen and then go in and crop it later in Keynote or my video editor of choice. Now with this new version of ScreenFlow, I can just select the portion of the screen I wanna, wanna record, which would be the section where the video is playing. And then I have a much smaller file to work with and it just takes a lot of steps out of the process. Can I tell you that I started a mediation one day with that technique of using the, the oh, fly-in? tell me that. Yeah. How'd it go? Uh, we settled and we settled well. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I don't know at what point people start doing the stuff that you and I are doing and it becomes common, you know, everyday stuff. But I don't think that's anytime soon, because even though the tools are getting easier to make it, just most people don't even think to go there. And um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a student, a teacher, a lawyer, a engineer, a doctor. It just seems to me like most people just don't take that extra time. Well, and it can really make a world of difference. And without diving too much in the in the legal realm, one of the things that I believe in, especially if my clients, you know, maybe I know that we're on a bit of a constrained budget. I, I use some of these presentations from a shock and awe factor. And, you know, I'll tell my client, give me a little bit more of the budget to spend on actually preparing and, and doing a bang up job on this mediation, going in and, you know, rather some people just will, you know, if you're giving a presentation, you know, we'll just show up and sit at a table and give a 10 minute intro and and that's their introduction. And and I typically, depending on the on the circumstance, will if we have the, the resources and if my client approves, we'll go in and if it's appropriate, will prepare a presentation and keynotes my my tool of choice for that but will really shock and awe them and with a, a full animation here are the facts of the case here's our side here's our our story and i'm really just telling the story of of what's going on from our point of view but the point that i'm getting across the bigger point that i'm getting across that i couldn't get across in a narrative is don't mess with me you don't want to see me do this again because the next time i do this it will be in front of a jury and a judge and it will it will impress them. So I'm trying to shock and awe them early on to say, get this done now so that you don't have to deal with this again. Yeah, th- you're saying this is what I'm doing for the mediation. Just wait till you'll see what I do for the jury. And that does have an effect on people. Yeah. Uh, some of the other new features in the new version of ScreenFlow, they've got uh, better animation effects, which are great. And they've got a multi-channel audio mixer, which is something that I've always wanted. It's like when you've got, sounds from the screen versus sounds that you're recording on the microphone versus sounds that you're importing. It gets really complicated in the older versions. Now it's super easy. I've got the, um, I've talked, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show, but I have been working pretty hard on an update to the OmniFocus video field guide. And it's going to have some really great stuff in it about the new automation on iOS. And it's, it's turning into like a, like a real big project for me. <laughs> I, you know, just, there's just a lot to it. And I'm doing the whole thing in version six of ScreenFlow, and I'm really happy. I've got some of those new features that I'm using. That'll be coming out, by the way, in about a week after the show, show ships. And after it releases, I'm going to uh, raise the price. So if you want to get it before, then that would be a good idea. Okay, so enough self-promotion, Katie Floyd. Uh, the other th- the other tool you need that I think is worth investing in for these types of tools is a good graphics package, some way to create simple graphics to use in a lot of these uses we're going to give you for Keynote. And uh, and my weapon of choice for that is OmniGraffle. Uh, 
just such a great application. They they happen to be the sponsor of today's show. So Ugh. I I guess this is editorial and uh, take it how you will. But uh, OmniGraffle I've been using for years and it's just a really great because they have that alpha layer export where you can export something without a background, which is really key for making something that you're going to use in a keynote. And for some of these tools we're going to talk about below, you can also do that to a lesser extent with preview, if that's what you need. Um, and I'm sure there's some other applications out there. If you've got some other graphics package that's relatively simple for people to use, you think we should talk about it, send it in with a comment for the next live show. Absolutely. All right. So we've got Keynote on the Mac and Keynote on iOS. So I'm curious, since the, the two products have di- there is this big divergence between the original Keynote on the Mac and the first version of Keynote that came out on iOS, and then Apple did some big changes and everybody, you know, got crazy about how a lot of features have been taken out. But a lot of that was done to to streamline the products and bring them more in line with each other. And so now the changes between Keynote on the Mac and Keynote on iOS, as they both kind of come up together, is is shrinking. And so how much are you using Keynote on iOS now and especially on that fancy iPad Pro? I am. Um, I use you know, I don't really think about it that much anymore. There, there's a couple things that become headaches when you start generating a keynote on iOS. Probably the biggest one is fonts. Um, you know, you only have a limited set of fonts installed on your iPad. So if the font's not installed, you're not going to get it. There's an application I call, I use called AnyFont. A-N-Y-F-O-N-T. And we'll put a link in the show notes. It's a simple little application that you can basically enable any um, font file to be installed on your iPad or iPhone. And that way you can run just about any font you want, but you've got to go through the process of kind of authorizing it on the iPad. It's kind of a pain in the neck. And I'm sure there may be other apps out there that may be better, but any fonts, the first one I found that could install virtually any font and then allow me to use keynote that way. And I'm happy enough with it. Uh, another issue is, uh, making changes. The, uh, the templates on Keynote are great. That's one of the reasons I love the app. It's got these great built-in templates and there's a bunch of third parties out there that make also beautiful templates that really are not that expensive to install. However, when you create a, a presentation file on Keynote that you can use for one of these purposes we're going to talk about, and I'm thinking particularly of a kiosk style presentation, I'm going to talk to you about more about that later. I did one once and then we decided to change the template and I went to change it on the iPad and guess what? You can't change templates on oh. uh, iOS. I did not know that until I went to do this. And so, uh, so that, like on the Mac, that's a very simple process of changing templates. In fact, you can have multiple templates active in a single keynote file on iOS. You can't do that. Um, another little thing that's goofy is on iOS, you can have animations um, on objects. You know, there's three kinds of animations. You've got the build in, the build out. So that's when you're making it arrive and making it go away. You can animate it. But you can also do animations on the on the Mac in between the build in and the build out. So like when I do a presentation, I just did a bunch of uh, of um, um, things for Mine Node, the little app Mine Node. They're going to be coming out any day now. Um, and I did a bunch of animations showing how iCloud works, and the little icon is bouncing around the screen. That's all in an animation done in Keynote. Um, in the midst of the object existing, it's not bringing it in or leaving it. But on iOS, you can't do that. So on the iPad, you can't take it an icon and move it from the left side to the right side of the screen. So there, there's still things that run into problem. And 
And this isn't a show trying to convince you to do the whole thing on iOS. Uh, you can do a lot of it on iOS. You can play it on iOS almost without any problem, especially if you're using something like any font to make sure the fonts are all working. Uh, creation generally works on iOS. Uh, it always works on Mac. So you just have to make your decisions there if you want. Uh, giving presentations with iPad is obviously a, a big advantage. I was thinking about this pre, uh, preparing that line. The first um, presentation I ever did solely on iPad was one I did for the Omni Group, um, like, I don't know, three or four years ago about, it was called Do Stuff. I did it at the Cartoon Museum in San mm-hmm. Francisco. I was there, yeah. And, and it's online, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes. And I did the whole thing off an iPad mini, and it was just no trouble. Did you ever own an iPad mini? That was somebody else's iPad mini, it, right? Daisy had one, and so yeah. I borrowed it. She still has one, so I've got access to one when I want to use it. So I guess, obviously, there are changes, differences between the, the multiple versions, but if someone creates a keynote, has it finalized, they've got what they've got. Do you think we're at a point now where if if I've got my keynote and I'm happy with it, and maybe I just want to make a few minor tweaks to it. Am I at the point now where I don't have to take my laptop if I want to go give a presentation at a conference somewhere? Yes, you are. I mean, there's, there's a couple caveats there. Like I talked about a couple things that you just can't do. If you think there's any likelihood you're going to change the template, or add animation in the midst of the object existence, you're right. going to have a problem. But if I'm mostly said, yeah, you're, you're fine. I I've been giving presentations off iPad only now for, for a couple of years and not a problem. I, and now that I've got those remotes, I talked about it on a recent live show and I, I still haven't written them up at Max Markey. Okay. I'm, I'm writing down right now, write up these. So I've got a couple of remotes that work bluetooth straight to ipad so that you don't need to use a usb dongle or anything it just works fine so you show up with your ipad and a little remote and the adapter to go from the lightning to to hdmi and you're ready to go it's crazy how little material you need to get in and give a presentation the other advantage of ipad for this stuff is we're going to be talking about things like photo slideshows and kiosks and some of these things where you may want you're not going to necessarily have the device or give the this use is not something that's going to be on a traditional projector in a room full of people like the kiosk thing we're going to talk about is great and touch interface is key to it so it only works playing it on an ipad i guess you could use it on a mac too but it really works playing it on an ipad where they can just reach and touch the glass so there some of the advantages of these other uses um only exist because there's something like an ipad that you can play the presentation on a good example of that is we um, this app camp thing has been a big deal. And one of the things we've been doing is going to some of the local middle schools on like, you know, back to school nights and things. And we had a table, you know, and we sat there with our uh, app camp for girls banner and got some girls interested in learning how to code over the summer. So I put together uh, a keynote presentation that had information and it had a video embedded in it. And, and a lot of the tricks you're going to learn about as we go through the outline for the show, and it was all touch-based. So I took my my big boy iPad Pro and had it on the table there, and they could rock up and just tap the buttons on the screen, the icons on the screen that I created in OmniGraffle, and advance so they could watch the video. They could rewind and watch the video again. They could go to the next screen and see the benefits. You know, all that stuff was done, and it was interactive. I didn't have to give the presentation. They could kind of give it to themselves. And all that was done with a bunch of tools we did here and presented on an iPad Pro. So, so the next time, what what would be even better and what would make that a much more effective presentation is if we had got you one of those telepresence robots. 
and you didn't even go and didn't even go to the table, but instead there was just a telepresence robot yes. with an iPad as a head. <laughs> yes. Yes. But they're middle schoolers. They might've, you know, kidnapped me. Yeah. And you could have just rolled up and said, what's up? You want to learn about app camp for girls? Touch my head. I think it was at Ool or one of the conferences, uh, John Gruber was going to go to. And he, when he had that thing with his eye, he couldn't, couldn't attend. Yeah. So they put him on one of those and he accidentally drove it off the stage. <laughs> yes. I remember that. Okay. Well, anyway, let's get to the nuts and bolts um, and talk about some of the things. Mac Power users, listeners, if you send us video of a telepresence robot running Keynote, we'll we'll find a way to share that somehow. Yes, we will. Okay. All right. Sorry. I got us a little off track there. So um, so presentation on iOS, it's, it's how, when you create the presentations now, I have always found that very difficult on on ios um and i want to talk about that more but uh let's let's take a quick break here this episode of the mac power users is sponsored by one password the one-stop solution for all of your password needs recently an old friend of mine bought her first mac so she brought it over to my house so i could help her set it up and the first thing i noticed is that she had an excel spreadsheet with all of her key passwords in it on her desktop She was actually really proud of herself because she had all that stuff together. A lot of people don't even have that. But of course, that's a security nightmare to leave all of your passwords on your desktop. So in addition to getting her set up on her new Mac, I introduced her to 1Password. If you haven't tried 1Password yet, you really should. 1Password generates really great passwords for you, and it auto-fills them into your most important websites and other logins. The application then remembers them all and synchronizes it across to the iOS platforms like your iPhone and your iPad, along with your Mac. They even have versions for Windows and Android if you swing that way. That's not all 1Password can do, though. It also has the ability to keep secure notes. When I showed my friend that she could put her medical information in a secure note and then it would synchronize over to her iPhone, also behind the 1Password secure password, she was thrilled. In fact, the funny thing about that whole experience was that at the end of the night, all she could talk about was 1Password, not her fancy new MacBook Pro. That night, 1Password got one more believer. These days, when people are trying to steal our secure information all the time, it's a pretty easy case to make for 1Password. It just solves that problem for you in an elegant way. It's like having your own little digital superhero to keep you safe from the scary people on the internet. There's a lot of ways to get into 1Password, but none better than going into the magical link we have in the show notes. It gets you 20% off. There's also an excellent 1Password for Teams product that allows you to put your entire team on 1Password. That way you can share the passwords with the people that you need securely and without any problem. They've got separate pricing for that, and you can learn all about that at onepassword.com. Thanks again, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power users and keeping us safe from the Internet. So what's your hang up with creating a presentation on iOS? Well, you know, part of it's just my hang up with iOS in, in general. I always find these types of things are are easier to do on a Mac with a mouse and a keyboard and multiple screens. And I can take things and I can drag them in and out and open up web pages and find information and copy and paste them in and, um, you know, reference multiple sources. I like having multiple windows open and seeing things and, you know, using my keynote presentation as a canvas that I can, you know, drag and rearrange things onto but I'm guessing that's probably gotten a little bit easier now that you've got these gargantuous iPads with split screen. Yeah, split screen makes a huge difference. And 
Uh, to be honest, I think it still probably is faster on the Mac. Um, but it's not that much faster. It's like I said, put it the way. It, it, you either get the delight out of making it on the iPad with no, the knowledge it's going to take a little bit longer or you don't. And and I don't think there's really a wrong answer to that. A lot of people are like, well, it takes longer, so then therefore it is inferior. Uh, I don't really view it that way. Uh, sometimes sitting on the couch putting a presentation together, I get ideas that I don't get when I'm sitting at my desk looking at my big fancy iMac. Um, uh, I also like, for instance, quite often my presentations start out on the Mac because that's my habit and that's the way I do it. But a lot of the later edits and changes take place on the iPad. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, a lot of them happen on the, the airplane. You know, whenever I'm going to give a presentation, I always find things I want to change as I'm sitting at 30,000 feet. And the iPad is great for that stuff. Um, I, I don't really think there needs to be a right or wrong answer to that. If you, if you like making it from scratch on iOS, bless you. Just go make it. That's fine. It might take a little bit longer. There's a few less features you're going to have. But for 90% of the presentations, nobody will ever miss what that you couldn't do. And it's going to be just fine. If you don't want to do it on a, on an iPad, that's okay too. Well, one thing I would recommend though, is if you're, even if you're not into using iOS to give your presentation on the iPad and all that, get the keynote app anyway on your iPhone, because there's a presenter remote built into it. So if you're running keynote, even on your Mac, you can advance slides. That's, um, what about, you know, and I want to get back to the, the keynote remote in a minute, but in terms of creating the keynotes on iOS, has it gotten any, and I admit I haven't done this for a while, has it gotten any easier now from a document management standpoint? Because if you're referencing documents that you want to pull in on iOS, a lot of times I'm referencing PDFs or JPEGs or other documents that I already have saved and want to pull snippets or clips in from theirs. I would imagine now with, with iCloud Drive, that has gotten easier. Yeah. I mean, cause you can just go access it anywhere you want and um, you can drop it in. You can also use copy and paste for elements, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, OmniGraffle on, I, you know, this is, sounds like is, I, I guess we shouldn't have had OmniGraffle as a sponsor because this is inevitable. I'm going to talk about it today, but OmniGraffle on iPad is really good. So I, I can make a graphic in there and I can copy it and paste it into Keynote. Um, there, there's a lot to like about it. Yeah, you know, I once again, I I'm not going to try and convince you to switch over to iPad. I, I would say that if you're a longtime Mac user and you're interested in this tech, you should try making a presentation on iPad because you're going to find that there's some things that make you crazy because they're not as easy, and there's some things that are actually more fun and maybe even uh, make a better product. And you know, just the fact of using your finger to align objects, um, I think sometimes that works better than a traditional mouse and keyboard can. So you just got to try it and find out what works and doesn't. I think generally as a rule, it takes a little bit longer, but that's okay. But that's not really what I, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole today anyway, because I got a bunch of stuff to cover here with what we're going to do with these presentations. All right. So you were talking about the keynote remote, the keynote remote for iOS used to be a separate app and now it's built directly into the keynote app. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, it shows you the next slide. There's a lot to like about it, but I like the remote to be something that the audience doesn't even realize I'm holding, if possible. You know, I, I don't want that to become a point of distraction. And when the, the speaker keeps looking down at her phone to see what the next slide is, that's a distraction. 
And then like you, you go to swipe it and maybe for some reason didn't swipe right or your finger gets sweaty because you're speaking in front of a bunch of people. I like the simple remote that you press a button and the slide advances. One of the benefits of presenting from a computer is that you have the ability to see things like speaker notes, to be able to see what your next slide is, to see where you are in the animation. Yeah, that stuff's on that stuff's on iOS. Right. But it's, you know, depending on how big of an iPad you have, it may not be, you know, as as prominent and as easy to see it. Having that keynote remote, the uh, remote there in your hand can give you another way to see those things. Um, but again, it is distracting. In my world, my iPad screen is actually bigger than my Mac screen. My, I guess that's true. It is for you. But the um, but it does. They, they do have a uh, presenter view so you can see the next you, you can set it up to whatever you want. But even then, you don't have as much customization over it as you do on the Mac. Correct. Yeah, depending on where it's sitting and how you have to connect it, um, it could be problematic. So. Yeah, the, what I generally do is like the last presentation I gave was about a month ago, and I brought the big iPad Pro. And actually, you know, thinking back, I brought the smaller iPad Pro, and and I just used a um, you know, a stump, you know, my favorite mm-hmm. stump. I brought a stump along, and I had a really long HDMI cable that I ran down, and I put some tape on the ground so nobody tripped over it, and I put the um the ipad on the table there was like i was speaking to a room it was like a u-shaped table that and then i spoke in the middle there was a u-shaped table around the room on the right side um i just put it on in front of somebody with the screen facing me you know about five feet away and it was fine okay uh i want to talk about some of these other options though so let's do that um the first one is the photo slideshow we just talked about photo slideshows recently in the family event show. Right. And this is one that uh, I guess I should have mentioned then. But uh, and at that time, we talked about photo manager, Magico and iPhoto and a couple other options. But Keynote is a great way to make a photo slideshow. Uh, I was reminded of this by a friend of ours um, of the show who uh, he teaches photography and he does this um, in class every day is he puts all the student pictures in runs a keynote sh- uh, show and just advances slides and then they critique the pictures as they go through. But you could automate this as well. Uh, the way to do it is you can import photos by dragging them on the screen or just get a pile of them and drag them onto the icon and mm-hmm. that will load up the screen. Um, uh, keynote generally does a good job of, of locating them on the screen and using the right sizes, but you can go through and edit it later. Uh, a key feature is the shift key. If you're doing this on the Mac, you hold down the shift key and you can grab any handle, any size of it, and then resize it proportionally. Uh, so make sure you hold that shift key down or the picture is going to get wacky. Um, on the on the iPad, I forget, there is a gesture to lock the orientation. I think it may be press and hold, and I should have known that before I started talking about it on this podcast, but it's there. So go find it. And uh, so the point is you, you locate the images on each slide. You pick a template that works for you. A lot of times for photo shows, I do just a black template where everything is black or gray behind it. So you're just focusing on the picture. Uh, one of the advantages of doing it in Keynote is you can add funny captions or not funny captions. You know, like uh, I've done it with an expert witness where we had a list of images. Like I was giving a, um, I had a case that involved an expert witness and it was about a house that was, cracking down the middle because of uh, some bad compression of the soil. And I had an expert. I knew exactly what 
pictures I would be showing him and in what order I would show them. So the best solution was Keynote. And we put the pictures in there and each one had the exhibit number on the bottom. And some of them I would have like a little red circle that would animate over something I wanted to point out to the jury. And we walked through that presentation, just boom, 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 you know, just me clicking each one and talking about it. And it was so much more efficient than the way most people do this. A lot of attorneys do this with pictures and you get out and you have to stick it under the Elmo and it's just a big mess. With people this. people was, don't know what an Elmo is. It's kind of like an overhead projector. Yeah, it's like a camera that yeah. faces a flat thing. You put it on it and projects the camera image on the screen. So that's an example. But, you know, getting out of the nerdy lawyer stuff and getting just the everyday stuff, once you set these up, you can export that to a video. And one of the golden things you should get out of this show is if you're using Keynote, spend some time in the export menu. I think it's under file. Let me go ahead and open Keynote. Yeah, Sorry. Um, so you've got any kind of presentation open. If you go to file and export to, there's a bunch of options there. You can export to PDF. You can export to PowerPoint, uh, QuickTime, which we're going to use a bunch of times here, HTML images and Keynote 09, which is also useful. Um, Katie talked about at the beginning of the show how Keynote was two separate products on iOS and Mac, and then it converged to kind of the same product. Keynote 09 was the last kind of sole version of Keynote for Mac, and there's some things you can do with those files that you can't do with the new ones. Uh, but for this purpose, is we're going to put it into a movie, so you would export it to QuickTime. And when you hit that export to QuickTime feature in Keynote, uh, there's some options. Uh, the the first is you can have it where it's self-playing or it's a slideshow recording where you talk over it. And there used to be an option here that I wish was here dearly. This is one of those that we lost with the conversions that um, is too bad. But the uh, it, it used to be able to advance it by clicking. So you could create a movie file that could play on a Windows computer and you could hit the space bar, click the mouse, and it would advance just like you're advancing it on the Mac. It was just crazy. Did you ever have an experience to do that? I haven't, but I always liked knowing that it was there. Yeah, I, I once showed up for a thing and there was a problem and the only computer that was available for me to project with, um, they had like hardwired this PC into the projector. And they, there was just they didn't have a port and there was no way in heck they were going to let me plug my Mac in. So I just exported it as QuickTime. We put it on the, the PC and I played it that way. So that was great. You can't do that anymore, though. But what you can do is create a self-playing video and you can set the uh, timers on it. You can set a separate timer for how long it waits to advance to the next slide and how long it waits to advance to the next build. So if you've got an animation in with multiple builds, um, you can say, well, take two seconds between each build. Uh, in this case, as a photo slideshow, you're just going to have photos on the screen. Each photo has its own slide. So you would set the timer for, let's say, 10 seconds. And you could set any animation you want in Keynote as you build the Keynote, which gives you a lot more power than you have with some of the other options we talked about a few weeks ago. And you make this self-playing movie. And you export it as a movie, and it automatically, every 10 seconds, it advances to the next slide. And now you've got a movie file. Uh, once you've got it out to QuickTime, then there's a whole lot of stuff you can do with it. Then you could play the movie on Windows if you wanted, or you could use it in some other method. Um, one of the other things I would mention in this process is you want to make sure you pay attention to the format for the export. Uh, if you're going to be taking it, let's say you're doing it for a wedding and you've got a bunch of pictures, you made the wedding video. Um, you want to export it to a format that matches whatever it is you're going to be doing. If you hit the little um, 
disclosure arrows in that export presentation to QuickTime. It's got built in 1024 by 768 or 720p or 1080p, which are pretty common if you're going to be using it with a with a television set. Um, so you could, if you're just making a video for use with television, 720 or 1080, and you're probably fine. There's also a custom button there that I'll talk about with one of the later uh, features, but you can go further with this if you want. Uh, but you know, the bottom line is you've got a video file. You, you can go ahead and, and set the, the photos together, set your animations. And with a little bit of work, you can export this presentation. Now you may be asking yourself, well, why would I do that? There are applications like photo magic go out there, but if you're just doing it once, you already have keynote installed. You don't need to buy an app. You can just put it together. Well, and it's really easy to put together. I mean, Photo Magico, don't get me wrong, is a wonderful app for being able to put together these things. But you're right. If it's something that you're doing a one-off thing, Keynote can do it. And it can do a really good job compared to, I mean, and you have it. You have it and Keynote's free and it's on your machine. Uh, and boom, you're done. Yeah. There is a, a, a related use. And that is what I would call the movie player. And it's kind of the same thing. But instead of having each slide contain a, a photograph, you would have each slide contain a movie. And uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, when she was in high school, was involved in the video, I guess, you know, they made videos, uh, I forget, video production kind of group. You know, they made like the morning news for the school and they made all these great videos and they would do kind of at the end of the year uh, dinner where they showed a bunch of these videos. And the kids videos would range between like 10 seconds and two minutes. None of them were super long, but we wanted a way to play them. And um, I was talking, the teacher is a friend of mine, and we were talking about ways to do it. And we decided to do it as a keynote. You know, we'll just put it in a keynote file. And we had each slide, we could have an introduction, you know, a picture of the kid who made the video, a little description of what it's about. And so he could kind of talk through what, what this next video we're going to see. Then he clicked the button and it would go to a black slide with the video file. And you can have that video either autoplay or play on click. And it was just a seamless way to play through like 30 videos. It just, it looks super professional. And all this was done with Keynote. Well, it's just a great way to automate things. I mean, if you don't want, if you have files that you want to play or that you want to display, if you don't think about it, if you don't, you know, things that you wouldn't otherwise think about automating, if you don't want to get up on your Mac and open them every single time, a lot of times Keynote can be the solution to that problem. And that's exactly what you found with your multiple movies. Yeah, so it really would apply to any kind of media, uh, photos, uh, even sound files, movies, anything where you've got a folder full of media that you want to display somehow, and you don't want the audience to see you digging through the finder to find them and all the you know problems that come with that. Now, have you found that at some point the file just gets too big and it becomes unwieldy? Yeah, I think if we had made this movie file with like all seven Star Wars movies in it. I think, you know, it probably wouldn't have worked. I, I've never tried it. Seven? I thought there were I thought there were only four. Well actually, you know what, you're right, Katie. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> wow. Now I feel really bad. Speaking of which, they had the European in London, they had the Star Wars celebration this week. And it has been a huge distraction to me because they streamed it all on YouTube. Man, it's been really hard to get work done. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I think if you put seven feature length movies or even four, you probably would have some trouble that with this thing with the kids, the video files weren't super big and there weren't so many of them that we would break it. But that is something to be aware of. 
This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Backblaze. Backblaze is personal and business backup for Macs and PCs. With Backblaze, you'll get unlimited online backup for documents, music, photos, videos, and all of your user data. And you can get a no-risk two-week free trial by heading over to backblaze.com MPU. Now, I use and love Backblaze and have for years to back up all of the data on my Mac. And Backblaze has backed up well over 150 petabytes of data, a lot of that being mine, and has restored over 10 billion files. You have online access to your files from anywhere you have an internet connection. They even have iPhone and Android apps so that you can access all of your smaller files on the go. With Backblaze, you have options. You can restore a single file at a time or all of your files. They have easy web restore access. You can go online, download your files or an archive of files. Or if you need to recover your entire hard drive because of an accident or say theft or fire, flood, whatever, you can order a USB hard drive from Backblaze and get everything back in one go. They have a native application for Mac and PC, and this is a Mac app by people who know how to design Mac apps. There's no Java, there's no funky plugins, it just works. They will even back up your attached external hard drives as well. Personally, I'm a belt and suspenders type of person, so if you're already using an existing backup solution like Time Machine or Carbon Copy Cloner or SuperDuper to an external hard drive, you absolutely should add Backblaze to part of your plan so that you have a redundant off-site backup as well. Backblaze is not going to throttle your uploads, and they also have upload threadings, which means you can back up just as quickly as your ISP is going to let you. There's no add-ons, no gimmicks, no additional charges. It's very easy. $5 a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled online backup. And Mac Power Users listeners get a two-week free trial by going to backblaze.com slash MPU. So maybe you're already backing up with Backblaze. Maybe you've listened to us. Well, they've got something new for IT professionals. It's called Backblaze B2 Cloud Storage. So if you're building an app and need cloud storage, or you want to be able to command your own backups with CLIs and APIs, then Backblaze B2 is for you. It's a fourth of the cost of Amazon S3, and the beta is open now. So head over to backblaze.com slash MPU and check out B2 Cloud Storage. So thank you to Backblaze for your continued support of Mac Power users. I'm a happy customer, and I'm sure you will be too. Thanks, Backblaze. One, one thing I'd really like to talk about for a while is the idea of the keynote kiosk. This is kind of, is this kind of like what you were doing with App Camp for Girls, or are you talking more involved kiosks? No, this is really it. I mean, it, it, you see these things where you walk it up into a store, like you go to a museum and there's a screen there and you can tap on it and get information. Um, you can do this yourself with Keynote. And it's surprising to me how often I find myself building these kiosk, I guess for lack of a better word, applications in Keynote. Uh, so, so the idea is it's an interactive station where somebody can kind of drive themselves through the presentation. And the key to making this whole thing happen is Keynote has a feature called internal hyperlinks. Uh, in Keynote, you can have hyperlinks. Like one of them is an email address, which is not that useful in Keynote, although it can be useful with a kiosk. But uh, the another one is web links. So you could have a page that says katiefloyd.com on it. And then if you touch it, it opens up katiefloyd.com in the browser. But what's really useful is internal hyperlinks. And what they link to is other slides in the same presentation. So, and you can do this on words and you can do it on objects. So it, it's really useful to, um, 
to be able to allow people to navigate around a presentation, one of the uses I talked about this in the presentations field guide was giving a nonlinear presentation. Like if I had, I've done this a few times where I'm going to get up and talk about a subject that doesn't have a linear order. And maybe there's six points about this subject that, that may come up. So I'll get up and just talk about it generally. And then on screen, you're going to see the six points. And if someone raises a question about one of them, I tap on it on the screen and it jumps to whatever slide number corresponds to this. I mean, this takes some planning. So like, let's say slide number one is the, um, is the kind of directory slide that has the list of topic points. Slide number two is point number one and slide number seven is point number two and slide number 14 is slide number three or point number three and point number six is slide number 32. So these are these, these um, numbers that equate to sections of the presentation. So if someone asks me a question, I can jump to whatever section of that presentation. It's nonlinear. It's kind of like some of these alternative um, presentation apps that let you do a nonlinear presentation, but you you force it in Keynote through this internal hyperlink procedure. And one of the big keys to that is you've obviously got to have navigation throughout your Keynote. So you've got to think about on each of those screens how is someone going to get back to, for lack of a better word, the table of contents or the main screen? How do they always get back home so that they can navigate? either forward or back or, or wherever they're going to go from here. Yeah. So you want a home, you want a home screen and you want a way to get to the home screen at any time, just like on the iPhone at any point, you press the little button on the bottom and you're going to be back to your list of icons. Uh, you got to do the same thing here. Uh, so this is where something like OmniGraphle comes in really handy. Yeah. I was just going to say these can, obviously you're going to have to have some cute icons, but then how do you figure out the structure for this? Um, yeah, so so first part, the icons, OmniGraphle has this thing called um, uh, stencils, where you get these stencils people have already made. I mean, you could do something as simple as a square with a triangle on it, you know, an oversized triangle that looks like a roof. And anybody is going to recognize that as a, as a home button. And you could do something like that. You could go on uh, a Google Images search and just search for um, home icon. PNG. You don't realize this, but if you do a search in Google Images and add the word PNG, it's going to cycle it to just PNG files, which largely don't have backgrounds attached to them. So you can just drag that right into the keynote presentation and you don't have to deal with removing the background. Uh, so you could go find one that way, or you can make your own, or uh, getting back to these stencils um, in OmniGraffle, they're really great. They have a, a website called Stencil Town where you can go and a bunch of smart people have uploaded their own sets of stencils. And usually I find icons in there that are very useful. But you find a set of icons and they have to be really easy for people to understand uh, because the idea of a kiosk is you won't be driving it. I mean, that example I was using before was when I'd be standing in front of a room doing a nonlinear presentation. But the kiosk is the ultimate nonlinear presentation. It's self-driving. Uh, you're going to set it down just like, in fact, I'll talk a little bit about that one we did with the app camp. So you've got different sections there and every slide has the home icon on it. So people that are tapping through this can always get back home. And one of the tricks you do in Keynote is once you get the home icon you want, you find the location you're going to put it on. I usually put it in the lower left corner of the screen because people generally look there. And once you get it located where you want, you don't place it individually more than once. You just place it and then you hit command C to copy and then you advance slides in Keynote and you hit command P or command V to paste it. So as you're um, going through the slide presentation, you're just pasting it like maybe 50 or 100 times. 
I mean, ideally, you're going to set this up at the beginning. So you're duplicating slides and you don't need to do the pacing, but don't manually place it because as they go through the presentation, if the home icon just moves a small bit every time they advance the slide, it's going to be very distracting. You want it to look like the icon never actually leaves the screen. Um, so you set that home icon up and you map it with an internal link back to that home slide that has a list of all the places they can go. I mean, this stuff, it's just like, it's almost like a simple application. So once you think about it, you've got the home screen and then you've got the ability to jump to segments of the presentation. Um, now you have started creating a kiosk. Uh, a lot of times I'll use a mind mapper like MindNode or Omni Outliner to kind of outline what the slides are going to be in each section. But you're never going to know exactly what the slide numbers are until you get the thing kind of built. Because, you know, you're always moving and deciding to add an extra one or not. And you've got to get those things mapped perfectly. It's not super hard, but it's something you have to make sure you get right. So ideally, you've got a screen with a list of icons or words that, that point to different sections that you want somebody to be able to go see. And you've got the home screen button on every one so they can go through. And with an iOS device, they can just use their fingers to navigate through this thing. And it's really great. It's a like... Like for App Camp, a you know a thirteen year old girl does not want me, <laughs> a forty year old you know man, telling her about App Camp. You know, and frankly, anybody who's an adult, a thirteen year old probably doesn't want to listen to. <laughs> and uh, but you hand her this iPad, and she gets to kind of like navigate it herself. She gets to watch a video or two, and. And see the girls making the apps, you know, and then and then you hand her the iPhone with the app on it so she can try the app that the girls have made and like they want in, you know, and, and it really is a, a, an effective tool. And this doesn't just work for selling app camp to 13 year olds. It could also sell widgets to your customers or your students or whatever you're doing. Uh, I know, for instance, one of the things I do in my legal practice is I have um, I do a lot of like corporate representation. So a lot of my clients are forming companies or breaking them apart. And they a lot of times have a lot of questions about, you know, what's an LLC versus a corporation and all these different little questions. I have created a kiosk style information app to kind of go through that with clients and I do it with them. But then when I'm done, I just hand it to them. I'm like, okay, here, so now take a look through this if you have any questions and you can play with it. And they love it. They love going through it at their own pace and picking, you know, looking at the the points of what they, you know, why should they do an LLC or a corporation? And as goofy as that sounds, I bet anybody listening to this has some similar goofy thing in their life that this could work for. Well, and I think that's the key is that, you know, you're thinking about this and people are listening to this and say, okay, that's, that's kind of a cool idea. And then they, they brush us off, but there are a ton of uses that this can be used in so many industries. And I think it probably is going to take you a while to create your first one and, and a lot longer to create your first one than it will to create your second and your third and your fourth one. But once you create one, you can then tweak it from there. But maybe you create one that talks a little bit about your business or what is the, the one thing that your business does really well or what do you sell or do you ever go to um, to fairs or to uh, vendor exhibits or to something like that? And what is the pitch that you give? What do people come to see you for? If you're a realtor, do you do open houses? And do you show um, information about houses? And obviously you want to be there and you want to be able to give information to people. But if you could have an iPad, if you've got multiple people coming in, you know, what what a great experience is that if while you're talking to somebody, if another cu customer or potential customer who walks up 
can be walking themselves through their own interactive kiosk um, while you can help them. They're a lot less likely just to grab your brochure and, and walk away and you never have the opportunity to talk to them. You know, if they're sitting there playing with your iPad, going through, getting some of their common questions answered, you know, until you can until you can help them. Well, I was thinking like, like you, you are an estate planning attorney. You help people make their states. That, that's kind of complicated, but it does lend itself to graphical education. Like if you created some nice graphics explaining what is what and you put this together in a kiosk style presentation, it would be a really great tool. And the iPad is totally liberating for this. It's not something where they have to sit there and look at a screen that you're clicking through. They are driving it themselves. And that makes a huge difference in terms of their own interaction and investment in what they're looking at. And because the iPad exists, you can be in a room with a couple people and just hand it to them and let them control that. It's it's a it's a really great tool. So I guess my point is that like Katie just said, that this kiosk thing is not something fly by night. It's actually a great tool for sales or basically anything you want to convey information with. Um a couple tricks about this. Okay. Um one is you can add audio. Uh, keynote has the ability to add audio files if you want to go crazy you could like you could narrate slides and i don't do that very often Um, i would rather in let the words on the screen kind of tell a story in that case Uh, but like if you were not going to be there and you wanted to narrate it you could just make sure you do it well don't do a lousy recording or it will just totally destroy the effect um, the second one is you can lock the screen for a kiosk. I call this kiosk mode. It's actually called guided access. It's an accessibility um, feature. Yeah. It, it, the main reason it's there and the reason I first discovered it was because my nephew would play with my iPad and I'd put him in like the ABC game. And before I knew it, he would be in YouTube. You know, <laughs> I'm not even sure he could read, but he could find the YouTube app. Yeah, they, they're born knowing how to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and then he can find Minecraft video. <laughs> you know, it's like not only can he get to YouTube, he can not get to only Minecraft can he video. read, but he can spell. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, either way, so guided access is this accessibility feature where you can essentially lock the iPad. Uh, so to get to it, um, go to general, go to preferences, general slash accessibility, and there's a tab there called guided access. And I should probably open it so I don't mess this up, but. Guided access, like I said, is a way to lock the screen. You can lock the entire screen or you can lock just portions of the screen. I generally use it just when I'm doing a kiosk, I just lock the entire screen. You know, you start the presentation and you lock the screen. Okay, so there's a function there called um, once you, um, accessibility shortcut. And it's a switch. You throw it on. And then the way you turn on this guided access is you triple tap the home screen. You know, rather than hit it once or twice, you hit it three times in a row and it locks the home screen. When you do that, you can either outline a section of the screen that gets locked so you can like knock out certain buttons. You know, you can just like highlight certain buttons and then they're not accessible anymore. Or you can just have it make the whole screen um, uh, locks. So it just depends on what you're doing. But I, I do this with a kiosk and then people can't leave the app and go check my email you know, when I look at my iPad. And then to un, un, uh, remove it from guided access, you triple click it again and you put in a code when you set it up. So you just type in whatever the six digit code is to unlock it. And then it's a normal iPad again. So if you're going to do this kiosk thing, um, set up the accessibility for guided access. Uh, you also want to make sure when you do this, it's a program, it's a computer program in essence. So test it. You know, make sure every button works. Uh, make sure, like, 
like make sure the the access to the home button still works. Like the, the way I usually do it is I make the home button and I hyperlink it, and then I duplicate that slide like a hundred times at the beginning, and that way I just know everything is always going to link back. Um, but you know the the slide the the index slide that's going to go out to the individual portions of the presentation of the kiosk that you've prepared. Sometimes those numbers will change as you add and remove slides, and usually it tracks that for you automatically and renumbers it properly. But boy, you want to check that before you press the go button and give it to somebody. That'd be funny. Oops, sorry. Not quite there. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, got a little beta testing there to do as well. Um, so you so you set up your structure, you build it, you, you install the hyperlinks. None of this is super hard. And when you're done, you've got a kiosk app. You know, it's like turning Keynote into an app builder. This week, the Mac Power Users is sponsored by OmniGraffle, the app for Mac and iOS that allows anybody to make precise and beautiful graphics. So much about getting by in the world these days is about easily conveying information to your audience. We've all heard the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words, but sometimes it can be kind of difficult to put that picture together, especially if it's something that you need to create a diagram for. In years past, the only way most of us could pull this off would be to go hire somebody to do it for us. That's not the case anymore, because the Omni Group has an application called OmniGraffle that lets anybody make beautiful, precise diagrams. Using OmniGraffle, you can have canvases and templates and draw images on the screen that just look great right out of the box. When you move your objects around the screen, they automatically align to one another, and if you connect them, they keep those connections as you drag them around. And if that's not enough, they have this huge library of stencils where you can take artwork that other people have created and just drop it right into your OmniGraffle diagram. The Omni Group has a website for this called Stencil Town, where they've got every possible diagramming tool you can think of. Whether I'm making a trial exhibit or just a graphic for use in one of my screencasts, OmniGraffle is always the place I go to. I've heard from a few listeners that say they want to get into OmniGraffle too, but they aren't sure how to start. Now it's easier than ever because the Omni Group has a great product called Getting Started with OmniGraffle. It's a step-by-step -step tutorial that goes beyond creating the basic flowchart and shows you really how to get in deep with this application. Not only does the tutorial show you the basics, it also gets in there pretty deep with hidden features, an explanation of how to use layers and pseudo guides, and along the way, turning you into an OmniGraffle Pro. All of this is available on the web, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. They've also got an EPUB or even an iBookstore book that shows you the same information. And they also have on the website, we're going to link a zip file to download, which has all the resource assets they use in the sample OmniGraffle that you build in the tutorial. Trust me, the ability to make your own beautiful graphics is a skill that you want to have. And if you invest just a couple hours in these tutorial materials, you'll get it. To learn more, go to omnigroup.com or check out the links I put in the show notes. And thank you, Omnigroup, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. Uh, another one I want to talk about is document layout. And I have a unique problem that this solves with Keynote. And this is somewhat related to giving a presentation. I promised I wouldn't talk about presentations, but this is related. Um, when you give a presentation, a lot of times people will ask you for your slides quite often in advance. And I've talked about in the past and in the book how I'm not a fan of giving out your slides in advance of a presentation because when you do that, all of a sudden they just turn you off. They don't even listen to you. They're flipping through your slides. You're talking about slide number two and they're looking at slide number 17. 
don't care about what you're saying. So it's, it's really hard to keep the attention of the audience when you give them something to play with. Um, the other thing I don't like about giving out the slides is that they're unuseful. I mean, if you do a presentation right, in my opinion, a lot of the times the stuff on the screen is not going to really be that helpful to them because it's there to enhance the words you're going to give. And, and they're not going to, you know, they'll see a picture. What was a, I did one recently and I had a picture of an albatross on the screen and that would make no sense to you if you were looking at that in the stack of slides. But when I was talking about it, it tied in nicely to what I was saying. Um, so if I gave you the slides, you're not going to know what the heck they mean. Now, that's even a problem if I give you the slides after I talk, you know, which is really the solution. If someone says, I want the slides, you say, great, I'm going to give them to you afterwards. But then they're going to have a picture of an albatross. And so I did that once and someone complained that, you know, I got your slides, but they made no sense to me, even though I listened to you talk. Yeah, maybe you should come to the presentation, pay more attention. They were there. And, and but it got me thinking, you know. If I've got these people and I'm doing a good job of the presentation, why wouldn't I want to give them better information afterwards? Because the presentation by its very nature is going to be a limited amount of information. Um, so I started doing this thing and I don't do it with every talk, but like a lot of the legal stuff I do, I make these and occasionally some of the tech stuff is I build the presentation and it's got this great looking, you know, template and it's beautiful and it's got, you know, minimal words and lots of images but it's useless afterwards to someone looking at it. But I've also got this information. A lot of times I have documents full of information that is part of the stuff I conveyed. So I started using Keynote as a document builder and uh, or a document layout tool. So, and it really works for me best in conjunction with giving a presentation. But going back to the albatross, you know, I could, you know, create that presentation. And when I'm done, the section on the albatross dealt with kind of a strange legal concept and some facts in this case that were very important. So I took that slide, duplicated the presentation when it's done. And I took the slide with the albatross. I made the albatross smaller and, um, you know, using holding on the shift key. So it kept proportions and I made it partially transparent and I put it in the upper left corner. And then I used a text field and, pasted some of the stuff I'd written in briefs and added a few other points and some bullets. And I had, um, I think it was ended up being 14 or 16 points, way smaller type than you would ever, ever use in a presentation, but perfectly fine. If someone's holding a piece of paper in front of them and reading it. And it, it just like hammered home the stuff I was talking about when the albatross was on the screen and even gave more, more information. So the presentation ends and I, I say, okay, and if you'd like my, you know, slides, here they are. And I give them this document that's not my slides, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's not my slides. What it is instead it is a document making my case for me that references the slides and they're going to see the albatross. So they're going to remember, vi I'm, I'm thinking in my head, you know, this is me being a sneaky lawyer, I guess. I'm thinking they're going to see the albatross and hopefully some part of their brain is going to key back to some of the things I said when they were looking at the albatross during the presentation. But there's also going to be more stuff there for them. So if they didn't write down everything, I've written it down for them. And I've even added a few additional points or things that they may want to see. And so this whole process takes a bunch of time, but you turn Keynote into a document layout tool. Hmm. and it works really well. Uh, a, a couple tips about this is you can make a smaller point size, but don't go to 10 points. You know, I think 14 is as, as low as you want to go. Right. Because otherwise people won't be able to see it. Um, you may have a fancy template when you're doing it. But when you present, when you make the, the, um, the document layout tool, I usually make it a white document with black text on it. 
I still keep the graphics and everything. And you can use the instant alpha tool in Keynote to remove backgrounds and you can change the template color to white. So, so you can kind of change the look of it a bit. Um, so, you know, make it with the idea you're going to be printing it out. Um, that's going to change a few of your design decisions, but don't lose so much of the design that it's unrecognizable to them. You want them to have be keen in on memories they had when they saw the presentation, like the heading fonts and everything are always exactly the same as they were in the presentation file. The, the graphical images are the same as they are in a presentation file. If they're, you know, in your face graphics, I may turn down the opacity a bit. So they're a little less in your face. You're just trying to trigger memories. Yeah, exactly. And then give them like crib notes. And uh, it's a, it's a great little tool to do. I've, I've done this several times now and um, uh, other lawyers have got angry at me for doing it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but the, uh, but people hear my tech talks when I give those, those little things out, they love it, you know? So it's it's just a really great way to kind of make your case and and i feel like it's a little bit of like you know you get the the sunday and at the end if if it's really good they put on the the whipped cream the cherry this is the extra part and you put it on top and sprinkles i like sprinkles you like now do you do like the colored sprinkles or the chocolate ones gotta have the colored sprinkles oh man i'm chocolate all the way yeah Mm. i don't even know what's in those things they look like little ants it's just sugar it's just all sugar but in my head they're delicious so so anyway uh get the sprinkles on it and you can do that with this ton of work to do this uh but and the first couple times you're going to do it if you're following kind of the my philosophy about presentations it's going to feel weird to you putting paragraphs of text in keynote but just remember you're making a document you're not making a presentation and it's a really good way it's really good thing to build off a completed presentation i i don't usually start those until i've got the presentation nearly done it doesn't see GP Gray use Keynote for most of his graphics. Have you seen his, you, you've seen his YouTube videos, right? Yeah, his videos are great. I thought he did them in some of the Adobe suite. I didn't know he did them. Does he do them in Keynote? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he did, maybe just some of them in Keynote. I don't know. We should have, you know what? We should have him on the show and ask him. We should work on that. I want to talk him into it. Yeah. He's not, he's not big on other commitments. Yeah. Um. Well, graphics in general, though, are something that are difficult to make. I mean... Uh, you know, there's, there's applications like motion and some of the Adobe stuff where you can make some really high end graphics. Uh, those tools are built for that, that exact purpose, but, but keynote can also serve the, the role. Uh, one of the, the most basic uses for me is screencast graphics. And this is probably f- uh, specific to me, but hopefully listening out there, it'll give you some spark. The, uh, I, I make all these screencasts all the time. You know, I make them for app developers. I make them for myself and some of the, the stuff I even sell. Um, you know, when you're giving a, a screencast of showing what's on the screen, there's some points where you just want words on the screen. And what are you going to do? You're going to open up like a Microsoft Word document and type? You know, you're not going to do that. Uh, so you, you create a keynote presentation and you want to match the resolution of whatever your final product is. Like the screencasts I distribute are usually 1280 by 720 mm-hmm. is the final thing because of bandwidth limitations of the internet and everything. That seems to be the, the right resolution for these things. Um, so I make them um, in I, a keynote adjust to the resolution of the screen. So I make them, but then I actually change the resolution of the screen by 720. I'm sorry, 1280 by 720 when I shoot the video of playing it and and getting back to screen flows i talked about the beginning show all i do is i say record screen and then i hit play in keynote with the presentation i've developed 
that's going to be background graphics and I record that part of the presentation. Or I just record the video portion of it and I do the audio later. It depends on what I'm talking about. But you can use then all of the cool animation tricks and transitions and templates that Kino has to offer to make it as a video product. Um, like I said, you, there are other options for this, but Keynote is on everybody's Mac and it's a pretty darn good way to get started with this stuff. How fancy do you think you can get? I, well, I mean, I, I think one of the problems with Keynote is you can get you can get fancier than you should. You know, right. Um, you know, you can have words turn to flames. You can have animations that where the screen blows up. And I mean, there's just so much you can do. Boy, use that stuff with a really soft touch because it gets unbearable really quickly if you have every animation be like the screen flipping upside down and twisting and all this stuff. You know, I use fades and sometimes I don't even use any transition at all where it just jumps from one to the next or I just use something very simple. When I do use a sexy animation, it's because I want it to stand out for that one item. And it's just like yelling. If you yell all the time, then when you yell, it doesn't mean anything. Uh you don't use a fancy animation until you really have a good reason to. Um, so you can make you make these little screencasts. Um, you, you make these little Kino files and then incorporate them by recording them into a screencast file, and you're good to go. And um, this can work not only with um, with screencasts but with video and graphics. Um, so rather than buy Motion or you know learn a new application, if you want simple video animations. You can you can do it just just like I was talking about for keynote. Like one of the ways I've seen people do this is they make like title slides. Like if you're doing a bunch of video interviews, let's say you're doing the uh, um, the wedding, you're going around interviewing people. You know, Uncle Jim and Aunt Sue and you know Grandpa Bill or whatever. Uh, so you go and you talk to those people and you capture video of them. Why not have a little slide card that shows who they are? You know, mm-hmm. here's a video from Uncle Bill, and then you um. You make that in Keynote, and then you can save it out as video, and then you can edit it into your Final Cut or your iMovie project as a title in between. And these, you know, these apps also have their own titling systems. But if you know Keynote and you like the animations in Keynote, there's no reason why you can't use that as a way to do it. A couple steps for this. I actually made a list because this one I, I don't do it enough that now I I wrote down. I made an, a note. So I remind myself whenever I do these. Uh, so you create a new keynote project and then you, the, the, the key is you size the project to match the size of your video format. You know, if you've got widescreen or, or standard resolution, whatever you're going to do, make sure you get the video screen that you match it. Otherwise you're going to have black bars on the side or the top and bottom of the screen, or you're going to have to, you're going to have to adjust the size, which may end up getting messy and pixelated graphics. So, Try to match the size to whatever video you're shooting. And then you create the animated text and transitions. Um, And then once you're done, um, you can save it. Now, we talked about earlier how when you export from Keynote, you can do that to QuickTime. Um, I I put very um, uh, quick pauses between them, especially when it's just words. I don't leave it on the screen a long time. And you make sure you have a transition coming in and out. And I talked about earlier how when you export with uh, Keynote to QuickTime, there was that customized tab. And I promised then I was going to talk about it more. This is it. I had this in the outline for right now. So click the custom button when you're exporting the presentation to QuickTime. And that opens up 
several new options. You can set a custom screen resolution so you don't have to stick to the 720, 1080, or 1024 by 768. You can set that custom if you want. And then they've also got different codecs you can use. And that's a really fancy word. I know video people right now are just screaming as I talk about this, but that's a fancy word for um, the, the format that it's going to export in that you can use in your video app. I always use ProRes 422, which a video friend told me was is a really good compromise. There's also ProRes 4444. It's got an extra four, so it must be better, right? Clearly. But the but the um but my video buddy told me, you know, 422 is great for most uses. So with no basis other than that, I'm going to tell you to use ProRes 422. And in fact, I've been using it forever. We're going to get like 20 people right in and explain to you the differences now. Yeah, or if somebody uh, is in production and wants to, get, honestly, if you've got a good reason, because there's also H.264, which is kind of the standard. If you've got a really good reason why I should be using a different one or the listeners should be using a different one, let us know. We have a show where we do you know, feedback, and that would be good feedback for us. Yeah, and just a reminder, we're recording that on the first Monday of the month, which is going to be uh, August 1st this month. Next month, I guess. Okay, so get it to us before then. Uh, so you, you export it using this exporter and you've got a video file and you can put it into the app and you're, you're golden. I mean, it just works and it's great. Uh, you know, I understand that you could do better with some of the more, you know, expensive and professional tools, but for most people, uh, keynote is a perfectly acceptable alternative for doing this. The The problem with this, and this is one of the things we lost with uh, Keynote be, you know, coming back to ground zero when they made the iOS and Mac versions more compatible, is you used to be able to do it with an alpha layer where you didn't get the background. You just got the actual thing you were putting on the screen. So you could say Uncle Bill and you would just get the text Uncle Bill. You can lay it on top of the video of Uncle Bill and you can't do that anymore. Uh, I hope that comes back into Keynote at some point. I think it's probably not very high on their list, though. Um, but either way, it, it was a great feature. So how do you deal with it now? Um, um, I actually emailed a couple in prep for the show, a couple video friends, and one of them said that that you could do it by just making the background uh, bright green and using a, a, a green key to, to key it out. He said, but, you know, sometimes that's not going to be perfect. It depends on how good your keying system is. But you have the ability in video to remove a color. That's why when you see the pictures of Star Trek or Star Wars with them shooting, they've always got blue or green or something in the background. Wait a minute. That's not real. Well, Star Trek's not real. Mm, I thought it was the other way around. Oh, come on now. You, you know that a parsec is a measure of distance, right? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> or, or speed. <laughs> we get off track so easily. You said Trek. That's funny. Um, anyway, um, so you so you could, if you're a video guy, you could, or gal, you could remove it by keying out a color. Um, another hack, I started searching on the internet, and one of the forums I read, somebody had a good idea that I thought might work. I have not tried this, but I want to share this with the listeners. So I talked about earlier how you can export to the prior version of Keynote, which is Keynote 09, when this was possible. And somebody on there listed that they did this, and I just haven't had enough time to test it. They did it, and what they did was they did the background color of the slide as a um, as a uh, zero transparency color. So they make the background color, let's say you make it green or whatever, but you turn transparency for the background color to zero, and then you export it uh, as a video file, QuickTime file, um, out of with with the um, Keynote 09 uh, file format. And then it removes the background. Hmm. Haven't tried it, but um, it it sounds just crazy enough to work. 
Uh, motion is probably better if you're going to get really into this alpha stuff and you want to be able to do it without the background. Spend the money on motion and you can do it in there. But, you know, I guess my point here is, is Keynote is pretty powerful for making video graphics. Why not? You added one to our list, though, Katie. Yeah. So I have used Keynote. Did I, did I ever tell you what my job was before uh, before I went to law school? Uh, I, I heard you were like one of those collection guys. Like if someone didn't pay the rent, you went and got it. I had a I, I had a big bat lift and a bunch of busted kneecaps. No, that's not what I did. Uh, I worked for a publishing company. I was going to be um, and I worked for a publishing company specifically that published school yearbooks. And one of the things that was my job is they sent me out to the schools back when yearbooks were a big thing. And I was in their education realm. And so one of my big things was to um, teach primarily middle and some high school students all about desktop publishing. So this was in the late 90s and early 2000s where uh, we were we were making the uh, the uh, transition from PageMaker to InDesign. And so that was a big deal. Uh, teach It was back. It was great teaching kids how to use these types of programs. I was teaching them how to use a little Photoshop. And one of the things that I would do every summer is I would run. Can you can you see me doing this? Uh, a three week long or I'm sorry, a three day long uh, summer camp where kids would come. And uh, it was it was yearbook camp where you would teach them. We'd you know, design their covers and we'd teach them Photoshop and we'd teach them page layout and photography. And other people came and taught too, but a bunch of little things. And so we had lots of games and trivia. And one of the things that we always did is we played Jeopardy. And you can do some of those things uh, with, we did it with PowerPoint at the time, but you can do it with Keynote now. And the way that it works is basically using the kiosk mode that you were talking about, where you would create a Jeopardy board, and then you would create the interlinking slides. You're familiar with Jeopardy, you know, where you've got the, the questions that go across and the different categories and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll take photography for a hundred. So then you'd click on photography for 100 and it would, it would display a question and then it would, you'd click again and it would display the answer. And then you hit a button and it would go back to the home key homepage. And then it would show the board and you'd go from there. And, and you did all that in keynote. Well, we did it with PowerPoint at the time cause that was pre keynote, but yes, you can do it now with, yeah, I took my, my old PowerPoint templates and it opened up and seemed to work just fine in keynote. So if someone um, clicked on a, I'm just kind of thinking it through. So you have a grid with the numbers, the questions with the, uh, or the dollar signs or whatever your unit was. And so you would click on that and would jump to the question. Right. Now, how did you designate, have the, have the home screen then designate that question that had already been dealt with when you went back? So it's basically a hyperlink. And if the link was visited, it would change colors. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it wouldn't like change to an X. It wouldn't change the form. It would just change the color. No. And we set the colors to be very different. So if it was not visited, it was like white. And if it was visited, it was black. Yeah. Okay. So you could vary or or maybe a light gray so that you could, it was very clearly that it was grayed out. You know, what would have made sense is to match the font color for the visited color to the background color. So if you go back, the, the, the the text would essentially disappear into the background. Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah. You could do that too. But you can, so that was just one of the games. We used it to create a, a Jeopardy style game, but you could also use it to create, you know, trivia or memory type games or choose your own adventure type games. Um, and as you were talking about kiosk mode, I was thinking, huh, that's, that's basically what we did when we were creating our Jeopardy board games. So now did you play the role of Alex Trebek in the game? I did. I, I did play the role of Alex Trebek. 
Did you get like really judgmental if somebody got it wrong? Like oh, I did. I was like, and you know, these are like 11 and 12 year olds. And I was like, yeah. no, that's a stupid answer. Jeopardy in my house is like a full contact sport. I mean, we, we get into it, but we also get mad at Alex almost once a show, <laughs> at least once. Uh, and then, you know, you'd also, you'd also have to have a scorekeeper because the kids would inevitably cheat. Yeah. Would they, how would they cheat? Well, because they'd be like, no, we've got 4,000 points. Be like, no, you don't. Okay. So you'd have to have a sep- separate neutral scorekeepers. And I, I, because I couldn't figure out how to, and maybe you can now, but, uh, you know, having keynote keep track of the scores of, did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? Cause we just had to keep moving. And then there's a whole other thing with the buzzer. I, I know there's a couple apps now on the iPad and iPhone where, um, what's it? I think one's called game show something. Let me see. Uh, I'll come back to it and give you the name where. Yeah, at the time we did it again, this was the late 90s and the early 2000s. We had one kid who was a scorekeeper and we usually we had one kid who was a scorekeeper and then we had a backup to keep watching them. Um, And then we had one kid who was a timekeeper. Yeah, I get it. I I understand you couldn't have done it back then, but, you know, just kind of thinking, well, if I was going to build this now, what could I use? Um, Let me just look. There's an app um, that you can get now for the iPhone and iPad. As I understand, I believe it now works with the Apple TV as well, where basically everybody's connected and then when somebody rings in it 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 records who taps their phone first oh that makes a lot of sense yeah i want to take a moment and thank our next sponsor and that is an app that is simply indispensable to me and that is text expander think about all of the things in your life that you type over and over and over again and how much time do you spend doing that how many times have you typed your email address how many times have you typed your name your mailing address, your phone number. Maybe it's a slogan for your company. Maybe it's directions to your house. Maybe it's the same form letter that you send people time and time again with just a few customizations. Those are all things that are ripe for text expander snippets. And frankly, I have all of those text expander snippets and a heck of a lot more created on my computer. I have so many. In fact, sometimes I have a little trouble keeping tabs on top of all of them. But that's okay because there's a tool for that too. But what Text Expander lets you do is create small snippets of text that can expand into much larger chunks of text for all of these things that you find yourself typing over again. And they even have the ability to allow you to create more complicated snippets like snippets with fill in the blank fields or snippets with optional selections so that it doesn't appear that you're sending the same boilerplate text over and over again, that you have the option to customize them based on the certain need. With Text Expander, you can share groups of snippets with others to expand your common knowledge and keep them working together. This is great if you're working in a small office or with a group of volunteers or on any kind of common project. You can set a a core group of snippets, share them with your team, and then you're all sending out the exact same information when you send out your text expander snippets. Text Expander helps you save so much time, and with the shared snippets, you can share time across the whole group and multiply those savings. Text Expander is available over at smilesoftware.com slash MPU. You can get more information about it. They have apps for your Mac, apps for your iPhone, apps for your iPad, and the Windows app is currently in beta. So if you're like me and you have to spend some time on the Windows side at work, this is something that you're definitely going to want to look at. They've got a couple of different levels. The Lifehacker subscription costs just $40 per year U.S. and includes all of the Text Expander apps across all of their platforms and the Text Expander sharing service. Now, if you're a previous user of Text Expander, if you've been using the service for a while, you already know how great it is. Well, they've got upgrade discounts for registered Text Expander users. And team subscriptions are also available that can include 
include all of your organization focused snippets and team management. So this means you can make sure that your team is using the most up-to-date text expander snippets and the administrator makes a change and that's going to populate across your whole team. So go check out all the options. Again, smilesoftware.com slash MPU. And thanks to Smile for their continued support of the show. So the name of the app is called Game Show Studio. No, that makes sense. The one I have has trivia built in where you can like play the game, but I think you could also use it just as a buzzer if you're putting together your own Jeopardy. Well, if you've got an app that's got trivia built in, it may make more sense just to use a dedicated app. I'm, I'm sure there are better solutions for this now than, than there were when we did it. Yeah, it's, it's fun, though, to, to think about this. Um, so uh, getting back, the graphic design, we, we talked about a couple times. And the, the thing, one of the main reasons Kino is so attractive for other uses is because the graphic tools in it are really powerful and accessible. It's, it's really easy to put graphics on the screen. Um, the graphic tools are easy to use. The, the inspectors are really useful. And you can build simple or actually quite complex graphics in Keynote. I really like the, the style guides, for instance, where when you pull something on the screen, it, it has guides to show you when you've got it exactly in the center of the screen. Or when you have two objects together, what the distance between them is. Or three, it makes sure they're equally spaced between them. All this stuff that is actually quite hard to do with a lot of traditional graphics applications are really easy in Keynote. And I'm not the only person that's figured that out. So sometimes when I'm making, uh, maybe I'm making a document that I'm going to send to a mediator and I want to have a nice little graphic in there of something, I may just as likely build the graphic image in Keynote. And you can do that. Um, it's not that hard. Um, and like I said, you just do. Have you ever tried to just build graphics in Keynote itself, Katie? Uh, yeah, a few times because uh, it's there. Again, use it if you have it. Yeah. There's a couple issues with it. Um, the The first one is this alpha problem. You know, once again, once you've built the slide, it has a background. I mean, there's a couple things you can do. Like if you have a simple graphic, uh, one of the easiest ways you can do is you can just screenshot it. You've got it built in Keynote. You hit uh, Command Shift 4, and that gives you a little uh, crosshairs. On your Mac, you can drag it out, select the image itself, and snap a picture of it. And then you can open the image in Preview. And use the instant alpha tool in preview to remove the background. And if you've set up the graphic in a way where, you know, the background color is fairly uniform and it does a pretty good job of removing the background that way. Um, uh, another way to remove the background once you've created the graphic is just to copy the objects themselves without the background. So as an example, let's say you've created a little pie, uh, pie chart in Keynote. Or um, maybe just a little hierarchical chart of like a corporate org chart. Um, so you've created it, you've used Keynote, you've used Keynote objects to, you know, make the, you know, the rectangles or whatever you've got around it. Then what you do is you just take the mouse and select those objects. You click and drag over all the objects and hit Command-C. Now you've copied the objects. You've not copied the background. So then you could open up Preview and say, create a new file from Clipboard. I think that's the command or something like under the file menu, there's like new from clipboard, I think is the command. And you click that and it creates a new document preview and just paste the clipboard, which is just the objects and not the background. And now you've got something without a background. Uh, you can do the same thing to copy those graphics into um, pages, you know, if you've got a pages document. So um, there's a bunch of ways you can get them out of there afterwards without the background. Um, if you do it 
if you do that trick I was talking about in preview, there's a couple, you can save the file then out of preview as a PNG file, which is bitmapped, which is I usually use. But if you're going to do a lot of scaling on it, it'll get pixelated because it's not a scalable image as a PNG um, in this case. Uh, if you save it as PDF, I find it's more scalable. So just depending on what you're going to do with the graphic later, um, it will change how you save the background color. Or, or I'm sorry, we'll save, change how you save the preview file of the image you created in Keynote. That was a little complicated. I don't know, should I go back and explain it again or did you get it? No, I think we got the gist of it. Yeah, I mean, so create the graphic in Keynote, copy the objects out of Keynote, put it somewhere or take a screenshot and remove it with Instant Alpha and Preview. Um, but, you know, I find it, you know, kind of just for quick graphics builds, it's fine. So we also had a lot of listeners. You put out the call on Twitter to say, what other uses are you using for Keynote? You have a lot of them. Yeah. But our listeners have a ton more. So we thought we'd, we'd run through some of those as well, because if you haven't got enough ideas from this episode, maybe you'll get some inspiration from some of our MPU listeners who've had ideas. Uh, so Mosh wrote in and said that he uses it to combine video graphics and animations for export to iMovie and upload them to YouTube. So again, this is someone who's using it for uh, creating videos, combining multiple media files, like you've talked about into a single single application and then exporting it to movie and uploading it. Boom. Yeah. Travis wrote in, he designs posters for presentations at science conferences. And I suspect, so like I was talking about earlier for graphic design, Travis is really comfortable with the graphic tools in Keynote. So he just makes his poster in Keynote. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. Aaron wrote in and kind of has a similar use to one of yours, but he uses it as, digi as a digital portfolio for in-person client meetings. You know, we've got this this great portfolio in the in the iPad. And again, taking all of this media, because Keynote will accept multiple types of media, putting it together in a Keynote file, and boom, you've got a, a portfolio of a bunch of different types of media all ready to go. And you ha you'd hand that over to a client and let them click through and see your work. That That's a good idea. Um, uh, John Voorhees, who's a uh, friend of the show and um, iOS developer and, and lawyer, guy's a smart guy, uh, he mocks up iOS apps using Keynote. So he's probably got some templates that are like, what's the iPad screen size and the iPhone screen size. Then he's probably got objects of like the standard keyboard and things. And he actually uses Keynote as a mock-up tool for building iOS apps. Joe wrote in and also uses it for mocking up iOS apps, but not only for iOS app mockups, but also for mocking up websites. Joe builds a lot of websites, and when he wants to get an idea of what it's going to look at or show clients what they're going to look like, Keynote's the app that you use for that. Yeah, and that was Joe Bulig, the guy. Uh, he was a guest on the live show a few months back. So, you know, uh, he's listening. Another uh, friend and sometimes guest on the show, Eddie Smith. Uh, uses it for one-off graphics. Like he says, he'll arrange things, screenshot them, and then he's got a quick graphic. That's one thing I was talking about recent uh, with that last subject, graphic design. Uh, Shelly, I think, has an interesting use for them, similar to your kiosk mode, and she uses and builds educational apps for use with the learning disabled. So I think she's doing this again with kind of kiosk mode, and uh, you can really create your own app using Keynote, and that's what Shelly's doing. Yeah, Eugene uses it. Um, he's an engineer and he uses it to create flow charts and then he exports them to PDF. I mean, we talked a lot about QuickTime on this show, but you can also export a keynote slide to PDF. 
So he creates the flowchart using the graphic tools and makes the PDF right there in Keynote, which is clever. And David wrote in and says that he uses it to make a restaurant menu. So if you don't have a dedicated <laughs> graphics program or a layout and design program that you like to use, Keynote might be the one for you. Yeah. And see, that's like another like good kiosk application where you could have pictures of, I guess it depends on how many items you have, but you can have an iPad at the table and a list of, or just pictures or a list and people could tap on it and get more details about each item. Like good pictures of your food. So there's a lot of things you can do with Keynote other than give presentations. I guess that's the moral of the story today, huh? There you go. And you know what, David, if they have even more uses, if our listeners come up with uses, there's a way that they can let us know. Yeah, send in some feedback. Send it to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or drop a note to us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. If you add the hashtag AskMPU, uh, that automates it. So we are uh, unlikely to miss it because it goes straight into the system. Thanks to our sponsors for this episode, uh, 1Password, Backblaze, Omni, and Smile. And we will see you all next time.